there, friends. Thanks for listening in to the Pure Gravel Podcast. On today's episode, we get a chance to chat with Sofia Gomez Villafagne, joins us from her winter training home down in Tucson, Arizona. We chat a little bit in our conversation about her Olympic experience racing mountain bikes for her home country of Argentina, and then also talk to her a lot about the all the races that she did throughout the 2021 campaign and did quite well and even touch on some of the controversies in terms of what happened in the women's racing field and get some very unique perspective from her on that as one of the main protagonists in the women's field. It's a fascinating conversation with a very, very talented athlete. We hope you enjoyed this episode, the Pure Gravel Podcast, Sofia Gomez Villafani. Hello there. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. It's nice to see you again. And I appreciate you taking the time in spite of all the scheduling uh, challenges that we had over the, the holiday. I know. I was like, it's like, are we talking today? I was like, I didn't hear back. So I don't think so. And then yeah, holidays, busy time for everybody, huh? Yeah. How's life in Park City? Uh, good. Although we are in Tucson. Oh, so, nice. Okay. Yeah. So we bought a home here in October. Um, so we kind of have a little winter home base camp going on. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's cool. We love Tucson. I bet there's a ton of folks down there right now, training camps and winter getaway and everything like that. A lot of cyclists on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's like the coolest thing about Tucson. Like Keegan and I have spent, we did a few winters in Escondido because we have some family. Um, or some friends of family that, you know, have a pretty nice house there and let us stay. But we were always trained by ourselves. And then we came to one winter in Tucson because our friend Russell kept bugging us like, hey, you guys need to come to Tucson. And it was just amazing, like the amount of people that just come in and out of here. It's like, there's always someone to ride with. Um, You always see somebody's passing by and the weather is great. So it's a good time. Nice, nice. Uh, well, it's great to get caught up with you, and everybody at Pure Gravel is excited. Congrats on the power rankings and and where you finished there. That's very cool. Yeah, it, I, I had a good laugh because I had I, I'm not a gravel racer by any means, and I didn't intend to become a gravel racer either. Um, and when the gravel rankings came up, I was like, "What's this?" I had to do a little bit of research. <laughs> I was like. The algorithm might be broken because I was like, how can someone that doesn't own a gravel bike finish third? We'll get to that. That's I think that's a fascinating <laughs> piece of this uh, the piece of your story this year. Um, but yeah, I, I can imagine it's kind of interesting winning an award that you didn't even know you were in the running for. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do a better job this year at uh, pushing the standings out as the year goes by and kind of keeping track of it and shouting it out a little little better. But uh, congrats nonetheless. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, let's talk about uh, last year a little bit. I want to I want to start first with the Olympics, because um, for me, that's got to be like the being, being able to represent your country has got to be an amazing thing. But that's a that's a unique story in and of itself for you. Right. Like because you represented Argentina while having dual citizenship. Did, were you forced into that? And if you had it your way, would you have raced for the USA? So it's funny you asked that. So I, you know, when I was a junior, I represented Argentina at a Pan American championships in Pueblo, Mexico. And then I kind of stopped pursuing all of that cycling thing. And I was just racing collegiate, racing for fun. And my last year of college was when I got connected with my coach, Carmen Small. And, um, you know, we kind of did a little training plan so I could like try to win collegiate nationals. And then I raced the regular collegiate race. And after, like when I entered college, I got, uh, I went from having a green card into being a U.S. citizen. So my code said USA, you know, I had my birthday on there. So I thought I was racing American, got second at Cyclocross World or at Cyclocross Nationals. Mark Gullickson is like, hey, you want to go to Worlds? Like, you need to apply right now. It's like, okay. So I apply, I'm like ready to go. And then Gullickson gives me a call and he's like, so I just like got a call from the UCI telling me that you're not an American bike racer. And I was like, what do you mean? Like my code says <laughs> USA. Yeah. yeah. You know, and back then it was before it was like the really long digit numbers. You had your your code. And he was like, Yeah, apparently, since you because you raced Pan Ams when you were eight, 17 or 18, 
that forever define your nationality for bike racing. So he's like, if you want to switch, you know, we need to sign all these paperwork between the two federations and, um, and you would not be able to race world championships for like a two year period. And there's all this other stuff. And, you know, I called Carmen and we were talking about it and she was like, you know, I think you can go from being a cat one racer to an Olympian. And I think if you stay with Argentina, your ability to qualify is going to be harder in the sense that you don't have the depth of women to make sure that the country has a spot. But if you guys get a spot with the racing you're doing and your natural ability, I think you have the ability to become an Olympian. So, uh, yeah, we kind of sit on this like four year journey. I was like, I don't think I can go from a cat one racer to an Olympian, but Willing, happy to give it a try. I wasn't quite ready to go into master school and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was like, well, go ride my bike every day. Like, why not give this a try? And uh, yeah, the rest is kind of history. What was the experience like? Um, I can imagine much different than you would have expected given it got pushed off a year and then no fans and things like that. It had to be almost like a, a really sterile hospital room-like environment? Was it was it odd in a sense that it, it just didn't meet up to the, the expectations in that regard? Yeah, there's definitely like, you have this idea of what it's gonna feel like, or, you know, before I was like, whoa, this person's an Olympian, or just, you just hold it in such a high standard. And after experience it, I'm like, I'm the same. It hasn't changed me. It's not something that, you know, I care to, brag about or just like I don't know I think for me I was excited that Argentina had a female representation because it was almost 17 years since there had been a female from Argentina at the game so within that was already a huge achievement Um, but it was basically mountain bike boot camp it was uh, we were in a remote village so we were just basically in this golf resort hotel and it was all the mountain bike athletes were there and uh it, it didn't feel like the Olympic game experience that everybody else has experienced, I would say. Um, but nonetheless, it was cool. My family was super supportive through it all. I, you know, they made the little flag that said like team Sophie and sent me a bunch of messages. So it was, it was unique and it was a good goal to have and pursue and be able to accomplish it. And nonetheless was just awesome. Um, but yeah, it's, it is what it is. Do you have your eyes set on going back in another, I guess, three years now? It's there. Um, it's going to be a little more complicated for me to qualify just because the three girls that were getting points, it was me, my good friend, Agustina, and she's like in her early 40s. So she's done chasing points. Um, and then the third girl that got a bunch of points. She actually tested positive for EPO in March of 2020. So that was just awful. And, um, you know, it was just super sad to see that a fellow competitor was, you know, racing dirty. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me to qualify for Paris, it's going to come down to, as long as criteria stays the same, a really good performance at either Pan American Championships in 2023 or World Championships in 2023. And I just don't think I would have to be consistently getting top five at World Cups for me to qualify the country based on points. So I have to seek that there's like an alternative way to qualify a country when you don't have so many racers. Okay. Well, we're pulling for you. If, if that happens, that's um, like I said, I think that's the, one of the most um the coolest things you can do as an athlete is to be able to represent your country, whether your birth country or your adopt your adopted country uh, down the road. I think that's that's a fantastic achievement and and congratulations and thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, what's this year been like? Well, let's back up. Let's go back to last year. Since you're not a gravel racer uh, and you did so well in the gravel racing season, how, how did that come about anyway? Like, did you just start dabbling in it and picking up races here and there and, and, and thought, well, I'm obviously a good enough bike handler for my mountain biking skills and I've got the endurance to do really well. How did it all come about? Yeah. So the first one was crusher in the tusher. Yeah. It was a very last minute decision. Um, you know, you gravel is just so there's so much 
buzz about it and there's so many articles so I was always kind of looking at race results looking at times and I was like I could probably do well in this but I just don't know if it's something that I want to do and um I had done Crusher in the Tusher once before and I had finished that race freezing cold crying yeah. incomplete shock and I said I'm never coming back here again and you know I was doing my prep for the Olympics and I kind of wanted one more race so I called Burke and I was like can you we figure out a way to get me in and, you know, called a few buddies and got an entry. And, um, that was kind of a way for me to test my legs for Tokyo. So what I wasn't really going there for a performance. I just kind of wanted to see how my legs were feeling. And, you know, I, I just showed up with my hardtail. I put, um, a bigger chain ring on there. I put narrower tires, um, kept my dropper post on. Like it was not the fastest bike, although everybody was, was saying how I had such a big advantage. And I think I would have been substantially faster on, you know, a diverge or a crux. Uh -huh. uh, but that's mainly because I come from such a mountain biking background that for me, dirt is dirt and it's either good dirt or bad dirt, but regardless, I'm still confident of riding it at the same speed. So I do crusher. I like was fourth for a while and then I got through this climb and I always know the last hour of crushing the tusher is when the race really begins because if you went too hard in the first three and a half hours you pay the price as you're over like 10,000 feet and I just started motoring motoring and next thing I know I'm just like passing people and all the girls are just like crawling and I'm like oh, there's like a feeling when you pass someone going like twice as fast and you just like <laughs> you're just going and going and going. So uh, yeah, I was super excited to win that one. Then I went to the Olympics, came back and I didn't have anything on my calendar. And I'm like, okay, I know my team is ending for next year. I don't have any training, I, like scheduled races. I don't wanna go do Leadville, but I'm like, I need to stay relevant because at the end of the day, I need a contract for next year. <laughs> so I was like, look, so I was like, I need to look at the schedule and I'm like, huh, there's this race, SBT gravel. And then BWR Sierra Nevada sponsors it. So I'm gonna see if I can get a bike, you know, and I'm calling friends, you know, specialized out of stock. And um, I get a hold of Katarina, my teammate, and she was like, I have a diverge that you can borrow if you want, you know, I'll have somebody drop it off on their way to SBT gravel. And I was like, yeah, why not? So uh, some of her friends dropped it off. I got a very last minute bike fit on there, realized I probably should have found a bike that was a size bigger just because I have really long legs and yeah I think SBT was kind of my first introduction to a lot of what gravel is and how the racing happens and the I like that, that pack mentality and the tactics and all that yeah, and all these like, goofy unwritten rules and things like that oh you have no idea how pissed I was at the start I was like there's the start line right which you already had all the cinch people that showed up like hour and a half before and they the blocked out the right? whole front row yeah i remember right? that exactly and i'm like you know i respect everybody that's out there starting i respect you know the master people that are out there just having a good time the ones that i want to go past so i like start working through the back and i ask people excuse me excuse me like do you mind i'm you know pro woman and most people know who i were was so they kind of let me through and I'm like, hey, I'm three rows back. I'm good. Like 15 minutes before. And then I see all these racers start coming from the front and like be in front of the starting line. And there was like four rows. And I'm like, you guys, like, A, you need to have respect for everybody. And two, like who gets to assign like, oh, I'm so-and-so and I'm going to come from the front, you know, like in yeah. the, you know, I was just like, dang it. Like, I was like silly for me. Cause then it kind of cost me at the start, but then, um, yeah, there's just a lot of dynamic there's a big learning curve that I wasn't prepared for because I feel like when you do those mass start races, you're not racing. Like it's not for me. I feel like at least, and it might be a little controversial is uh, it's not women racing women. We're racing the men and we're racing with them in order for us to have a faster time. Like, there's a really fine line I found that's like, you can be too fast for the main pack, but not fast enough or smart enough to have made it into the lead pack. So like I was doing these little like 300 watt punches to like, I think I was with Crystal Anthony at one point. Mm -hmm. And I was like, she's not following me. I got her dropped. I'm like, you know, 25 miles in whatever. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, she comes in rolling with a group of 40 people. 
And I'm like, oh, I'm such an idiot. Like I just wasted so much energy when I could have just gone slower, gone in this pack of men and most of the women and kind of worked with them to chase back on, you know? So I think it's a really interesting dynamic and I'm really curious to see how things shape up for next year. Um, If you had to, if you had to put some rules around that, or if you had to give it some um, parameters, what would you do? If it was your race to organize and run, how would you structure it? I would have pro men have their own start, pro women have the own start, amateurs all can start together and do the mass start. Reasons for that, A, safety. If you expect me to line up at six to 10 mass gravel, mass start races, I need to make sure I'm safe. So I Mm -hmm. think from a safety standpoint, it makes sense. And then we, the women, then don't get involved in the men's race, and then they don't get involved in our race. Mm-hmm. Um, I would do um, pit zones for the pro racers where you have, you know, like SBT gravel, like because all the courses kind of combine and you mm-hmm. have people from each course at the feed zones. I would do here's your amateur feed zone, and a mile up the road, you have a pro feed zone. If you have somebody that can go feed you there, that's where they can go you know, or you can have somehow water bottles dropped off or just have it a little separate because it sucks to come into a feed zone and you're just trying to be as quick as possible. And Jerry over here is just here for a good time. And you're being super defensive and like elbows out and just super aggressive. Well, he's just here for a fun Saturday, Sunday ride. Um, so I think there has to be a little bit of separation there. Yeah. Um, and I think obviously depending on the field and the race size is, women should not be allowed to draft off men and men can't draft off the women either. Is there any way other than self-policing to police that? It's very difficult, right? Like we don't have helicopters, we don't have roving patrols and things like that. It would, and I've never been in the middle of one of those races, so I can't tell you how easy it is, but it seems to me very easy to be able to draft along a female teammate with a group of men if they wanted to or chose to do that. And about the only way to, to remedy that would be people raising their hand and saying, Hey, we saw that for 15, 20 miles uh, throughout the course of the race. Yeah. And I think obviously self-policing, but when you have the women starting by themselves, you actually get the women's Peloton. Right. And you don't get all, you know, there's three women in this group, one in this five in that one, eight, you know, or like random girls all separated. It would be way more obvious then, right. If somebody slid back out of the men's group or something like that to be able to do that. Exactly. And I like at the end of the day, like I train so hard and I am so proud of the work I do day in and day out that I don't want to show up to a race just to have a man there to like chaperone me around. Like I am strong and I'm capable of doing everything by myself. And I think most of the women are. And it just sucks when there's these unwritten rules and things that you can and cannot do where the men actually play such a big role in how our race is determined and it's just it just doesn't feel like it's women showing what we can really do um so it's yeah i don't know i it's very it's a different like out there opinion and it could be just because i come from the mountain bike side of things and in mountain biking you don't really get a draft like i raced the cape epic this fall and they had a simple rule. You're not allowed to draft off the pro women and the pro women are not allowed to draft off of you. And it was one little, they had like 10 rules. And that was like rule number nine. And it was one sentence. Mm-hmm. And you know, me racing as the, in, uh, cause I was racing the co-ed. So I was in the amateur, I wasn't in the pro race. You know, I would catch up through the majority of the pack of the pro women. And if they needed anything, I couldn't give them anything. And they mm-hmm. couldn't give me anything if like we happened to like cross paths. So I think, I think there's a way it's just a matter of people more speaking up and just saying like women want to race women, you know? And that perhaps that's to an evolution of our sport. While, while we love this, no rules and every event is a little different. Maybe there is some sort of uniform set of rules that we can all at least agree on whether formal or whether among the racers, would that help that and and get rid of, eliminate some of this controversy and and some of these questions and issues that linger over everything? Yeah, I think, you know, there's the, what everybody refers to as the spirit of gravel. And I think that the spirit of gravel 
just no longer applies to the professional racing that's happening. I think it applies to the mass star and the amateurs behind us, but when there is, you know, sponsorship money and and contracts and and prize money mm -hmm. and contracts and there's so much media, we need rules because we need it to be fair for everybody. And we're not there. If you're signing up in the professional field, you're not there to go have a good time. You're going there to perform and you're going there to race. So I feel like, the ethos of spirit of gravel doesn't quite apply, you know, to those really big money races or really big media races like Unbound that yeah. zero payout, but obviously a lot of riders have bonuses and the media that you get from winning such a high caliber event is huge and you can't put a price on that. Um, yeah. So I think, and it's, it's safer for everybody, I think, to kind of keep it a little separate. <laughs> I know that after the SBT race, there were a group of women that got together and had a, a series of phone calls and discussions about that. Were you part of that? Um, I never was able to make it quite on the calls. I was always had something else happening that was already pre-scheduled because they would send it, you know, two days in advance. Um, but I did get a lot of the notes and, you know, and I will say with the whole SBT gravel, you know, like I think I was maybe the only person that actually went up to Tommy D to have a conversation like at the race about it, um, where everybody else kind of like talked about it on social media. And, you know, I reached out to Lauren and I was like, Hey, like, I just want to let you know what I experienced, how like a master racer of your team affected my race because you were ahead. And I just want to let you know, that's like my feelings. Um, so yeah. My how, how did he, re- how did he receive that? How, how was that, that? How was your, how were your comments received by Tommy? Okay. Well, I mean, I will say I'm, I'm Latina, so I'm definitely a little sassy. So I'm just like walking down the street and I see Tommy D and I'm like, Hey, Tommy, like how many guys did you have working for Lauren? Just straight up. And he was like, he got really, really mad. And I was like, well, I'm just telling you what I heard, you know, from all the other ladies. And I will tell you that at least for me, when we were in a chase group, there was a master rider wearing the cinch kit that would mess up our rotation and purposefully like break it up. And I asked him, I was like, are you doing this because Lauren's up ahead? And he said, yes. And I said some not so nice things because I was mad. And I'm like, how can a master guy get in the way of the chase? Like that is just not okay. So I was like, you know, and then he kind of went back and forth and he's like, well, I don't know. We kind of talked about it for like 40 minutes and got nowhere, but um, you know, at least I can say I talked to Tommy D in person about the whole thing, you know, which I think takes a little bit of guts to do. Um, cause I think it's a lot easier to go back and reflect or like days later, kind of make a public social media announcement where it's like, I'm like, well, I'm just going to address it here. Like I see Tommy, so might as well have a conversation with him about it. And, uh, you know, we're not friends, but we're not enemies either. And I think you know, I've seen him and his team here in Tucson training and I wave every time, like everything's good. But I think, you know, the, the expectations from that team are changing. Um, so it's good to see. Are we in a better spot now than we were in at the end of August with all of this? Do you think because of some of these discussions that have been held and the ongoing dialogue between the racers, the promoters and and the community, are we in a better spot? Do we understand these unwritten rules better? And are we going to is there going to be less of this this coming year, do you think? I think we're in the better spot in the terms of things are being spoken and women are being given a voice and we're being heard. Now, what is actually going to get applied for next year? I have no idea. And I'm really curious to see, you know, what races they separate the starts, you know, rules on arrow bars, no arrow bars. Can you have a teammate from a different gender help you? I I think it's going to just be really interesting to see what happens. And I think going into next year, all these races are going to be so stacked that I don't think I think we can have our own start just because, you know, looking at the lifetime series, there's already 30 strong women joining, Mm -hmm. or if you look at unbound the year before, you're maybe looking at five, five or seven strong women. So now that you actually have a Peloton, I think we're, you know, capable of really tackling that race on our own. 
So you come out of SBT, you take that same borrowed bike to North Carolina a week later. Yeah. Yeah. That was North Carolina was fun. It was, uh, it's a lot more, the course was like up, down, you know, lots of turns. Uh, it was never flat. It was never straight. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no. And it was, it was a good time. And I was just out there, you know, our, one of our sponsors for that, for the click pro team was here in Nevada and they were a title sponsor. So I was just kind of going there to help, you know, represent them. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was funny because I got dropped from kind of chase one, I think I was in and I was the only girl there. And I worked with one guy really hard for, you know, a good 10 minutes. Like Amanda was like, what are you doing? Like Flavia is back there in a group of 40 men, you know? And I'm like, okay, I really need to make contact. And once I make contact, recover, start pulling through. And I jokingly tell the guys, I was like, Hey guys, like, by the way, if you want your mom or your girlfriend to see you on social media, you better hang out with me. Cause they're not going to cover you the moment I get dropped, <laughs> you know, like, and they're like, Oh, that's a good point. Cause they were like, we were wondering why the moto was here for a long time. And we realized it's when you're here, you, you created influencers there. You got the, uh, you got the minds thinking on how they can get better coverage. That's brilliant. Exactly. Exactly. I was like, Oh, you want photos? Just, you know, protect me a little bit when, uh, when the moto comes and you'll get some images, but, um, yeah, no, I got dropped. I made one tactical error on like the final dirt climb. Whereas a big mud puddle, I decided to go left just in case something happened on the right. And then it was super sloppy and I slowed down and I just lost the wheel. And then I was chasing by myself for a long time. And I was like, Flavia's going to catch me anytime. Cause if she's working with three other guys, I'm screwed. Like I am done. And, um, I had a few roadies catch me and I kind of ended up working with them for the finale of the final 45 minutes or so of the race and managed to stay away. But yeah, there's a, the tactics of gravel racing is they're cool. It's, you have to be smart and you have to be aware of what's going on around you in order to be successful, because it's not always that the strongest rider wins. It's just who was the most tactically savvy and smartest out on course. Is that significantly different than oh, uh, a mountain bike race at your level? In, in, and, in, and in what ways? Well, like in mountain bike racing, once you attack and you go off the front, it's really hard for there to be a chase just because you're on single track. Yeah. And there's the speeds are so much lower that drafting doesn't quite play a role into it. Um, wearing gravel it's like no you don't want to leave the peloton until you know 60 70 percent of the race is already over like mm -hmm. you don't start racing until later on is really when the race begins which is kind of that road mentality i think mm -hmm. um and yeah when you're adding guys helping the women planned or not planned you know it it does change the dynamics and you know i just want to know that like I won BWR North Carolina because I attacked and dropped both Flavia and Tiffany Cromwell, not because I come from a mountain bike background. I'm a little extra punchy and that made the difference into me making a selection early on that they couldn't, you know, like. Do you think your bike handling skills as a result of being the high level mountain bike rider you are give you an advantage in gravel racing? Yes, I would say I'm not the most confident descending quite yet. Like I, for, I descend fast for the field, but compared to when I'm mountain biking, I descend way faster still on my mountain bike. So I'm really used to that. But I think the ability for us riders that come from a dirt background and we're so used to being loose and skidding around, you know, when you're skidding around on the road, you're in really big trouble. Uh, <laughs> where in the mountain bike is kind of standard, you know, skidding around turns. Controlled skid. It's all a controlled skid at, at times. Yeah. 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 So I think we have a huge advantage, but it's not anything that, you know, it's just we ride mountain bikes and it's something that you get from riding mountain bikes, you know, when you're riding mountain bikes so much, the training isn't as great because you're not just like the road where you're constantly on the gas for four to five hours, you know, mountain biking. Yeah. You climb up and then you can spend 20 minutes descending where you're doing zero power. So it, it has its traits. It mountain biking might not build your fitness so much, 
but A is fun and B gives you really good handling. But it sounds like you found a new a new passion for the sport, maybe in this gravel thing, and it might be a uh, obviously we're getting into the the Grand Prix and then big schedule this year. Are you going to try and toggle both and and do a full schedule of mountain bike racing in addition to uh, racing on gravel? Um, yeah, I think what I'm the most excited for this coming year is that I get to just now be a professional cyclist. I don't. I'm not going to specify, like, I'm not just a mountain biker or I'm not just a gravel racer or, you Love know, it. race cross. And I am like any sponsorship conversation that I started with when I was trying to find a team for 2022, I was like, you know, I just want to be a professional cyclist. Like I kind of want to do it all. And I think, you know, if it means, especially staying in the U S and not having traveled to Europe, like count me in, you know, am I excited to do unbound? No, like I have talked <laughs> so much. I have talked so much smack about that race because before gravel was as big as it is, it's like these idiots doing 200 miles in gravel. Like why would anybody ever want to do this? You know, I'm never going to do it. And I've said it with a lot of my friends and we're all heading there this year. And I even have a text conversation with Betsy DeVos from Bella News saying, you know, as we were talking about next year, I was like, as long as I don't have to do Unbound, like I'm good. And now I'm actually like super excited to go out there just not only to experience it, but to try to go for a performance um, at such an iconic race, um, which is, yeah, it's scary, but I'm really excited um, for that challenge. And I think it, it's just exciting. How do you set up your training then for the mix of not only the type of events you're going to be racing on, but the distances, right? Unbound 200 plus miles, mountain biking a lot shorter than that, but a lot of the same explosive energy needed. How do you set up your training? Is it is it event specific or do you really try to just tuck in as much as you can fitness wise, endurance wise, strength wise to be able to handle anything? Yeah, I think it's my volume is going up substantially this year. Like Carmen is, she's setting some really big targets uh, in terms of hours and intensity. Like she's like a four hour ride. She's like, you need to do over 200 TSS. If you don't hit 200 TSS, keep riding until you do. Um, And, you know, we are going, we're not going to do crazy long single days, but we're just going to do really hard back to back to back days just to build that endurance and that like ability to suffer once you're fatigued. Um, but I think the majority of my schedule is going to be more on that marathon for three to three plus hours. So, um, you know, it's, um, yeah, it, it's, it's going to mesh well. Um, you know, I think I'm pretty sure I'm going to go to Cape Epic again this spring. So that'll be a good build. And then really true XEO racing. I think I'm probably aside from nationals, maybe the snowshoe world cup and maybe one of the Bentonville pro XCTs and then everything else is just going to be on that marathon high endurance, um, side of things. So I don't, I'm not too worried about the meshing. But I do, what I do find really interesting is with this series, in the women's race, at least, if you average out the age, it's like the average age is like 35. Yeah. It's it's weird how it skews a little higher than you might expect, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's one of the current downfalls of gravel, just because the days are so long, is that, you know, a 17-year-old girl should not be trying to do dirty cans or unbound or shouldn't be right. racing 150 miles just from a development standpoint. Their bodies are not ready to handle that training load right. um, properly, I would say. Like, yeah, you definitely have people that can do it. But the, with the races being so long, it's, you know, the, the, the youth really needs to stay in cross, in mountain biking, road, crits, like the shorter end events. And then as you build up your endurance, then you can start, you know, tackling these massive, you know, like the lead boat or, you know, even just lead bill or SBT, you know, those really, really big days on the bike. You mentioned the search for a new team. How did that all play out? And what's the, what's the kit going to look like? What's the, uh, the assembled pieces of equipment and everything you got going, or is it still a work in progress? Um, it's, I, so it is a new team kind of. I, all I can say is that I am continuing my partnership with Specialized. Um, 
But aside from that, I don't think I'm allowed to disclose anything else. I understand. So, yeah, it's crazy because everybody's announcing everything that they're doing, you know, Payson going to Allied and Amity going somewhere else. And um, there's a lot of changes happening. We're still early in the year. There's still lots to uh, unwrap here. Yeah, Yeah, but I am signed and I'm really excited. I think it's going to be a great program for next year and um, good people are involved and we... Yeah, it's yeah, it's gonna be a good, a good thing. Right on. Um, did you do any cyclocross over the over the winter break here, or did we hang no, up the cross I bike? I could. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's it. Well, a I don't have one, right? <laughs> um, You're a pro cyclist. We got to get you all these bikes. Come on. Well, there's a <laughs> pandemic, and people are really liking to ride oh, yeah. bikes. I so, heard about that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but no, I think hopefully I'll get to go back into doing a little more cyclocross racing because I think I'm missing a little bit of the snap that I would have just from racing cyclocross. Um, But I'm definitely more of a fair weather, like the courses that you can ride and are muddy, but you don't have to run. Those are my favorite courses. (laughs) I've always wondered that about cross, like the bike is meant to be ridden, not carried or pushed or lifted upstairs and things like that you should your goal should be to stay on the bike not not be hopping off it two or three times a lap yeah well and even if you hop off you know little stairs or if you don't want to bunny hop that's fine but when you have to run for more than 30 seconds at a time (laughs) i'm just like i i just don't run enough to really keep up with you know you watch some of those yeah you watch some of those muddy european races and they're out there for you know practically half the lap in you know ankle deep mud losing shoes yeah. and things like that yeah. it's crazy or even the was it the trek uh the waterloo world cup two years ago that katarina nash won they did two laps maybe three laps and they were running you know 80 percent of it and i was like oh y'all are crazy my hip flexors are not no <laughs> no not for that that's why bikes were invented so people don't have to run right that's what i've always thought yeah exactly but no it's good and i think it's cool to see that nowadays in the industry we just get to be professional cyclists and just get to do it all rather than you know get to be so singular focus into one discipline yeah um i know you have a pretty uh hardcore full-time job in addition to being a pro cyclist um chocolate is going good or is there is the pandemic helped chocolate sales significantly and is all that going well yeah, so it's part time. Uh, so I work part time for a bean to bar chocolate company called Ritual Chocolate. Um, I started working for them as a barista when Keegan and I moved from Durango to Park City. Okay. And I had worked in Durango in the corporate offices doing some accounting, basic accounting work for Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory, and ended up working at a different type of chocolate factory, you know, as a coffee maker. And I started to travel. So then I kind of told them, I was like, hey, I have all this office experience. Like, do you need help bookkeeping? And I kind of got my foot in the door that way. And, you know, five years later, now I'm like their oldest employee. And um, I think my official title is admin manager, which it really is. I just kind of manage a lot of projects. I do payroll. I work really close with Robbie and Anna that are the owners. And um, they kind of let me do what I want, when I want, and how I want, which is very, very nice. But yeah. the really best part is that even as a part-time employee, just because I'm considered management level, I get health insurance. So oh, nice. I'm keeping that job for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and I can imagine the, the chocolate perks aren't too bad either. Every now and then a little care package might show up and yeah, yeah, and it's. Uh, I always have chocolate with me at races. So if you see me at one, please come get some oh, chocolate. And um, yeah, I'd always, I always show up to races with chocolate. Give it to sponsors or just give it to people. Um, and it's a, it's a good way to introduce people to the brand. And um, yeah, the owners like Robbie, he used to actually work for Velo News way back in the day, and he tried uh-huh. to even be a professional cyclist. So he, he totally gets it. And. Uh, we actually were racing Steamboat Gravel together. We ended up in the same big group. So it was, it was cool to have him out there. And um, yeah, it's it's a good company. It's good people. And it's, a, nice. it's, a, it's fun. Are we going to see you and, and or Keegan at any or all of the BWR events this year? You know, I don't know about his schedule. Mine is a little to be determined. Okay. I'm really bummed that they moved San Diego to Saturday or no, no, it's always been Saturday or Sunday. I can't remember. Cause we were like, Ooh, maybe we can do Epic rides, fat tire crit 
race whiskey 50 and then drive over to do bwr the next day oh, like to okay. do like a little stage race but now they conflict yeah um and then yeah the the schedule right now doesn't have me doing any of the bwr but who knows with things changing and events maybe getting canceled in europe or certain things i might have the freedom to go because okay. it'd be cool to go defend the north carolina one yeah, we want you. We want you there for sure. All of them, whatever you can make it. We we made that move to Saturday for in order to make to give the the waffle racers their own race, and that also oh. that they can they can race unencumbered. They're not coming back on some of the slower traffic from the shorter rides, and to make it more of a spectacle and have more fans and things like that there. So um, it's a move we made this year to kind of enhance the race and. Hopefully it'll shuffle well with your schedule and that you can make it out for that or any of the others because we'd certainly love to have you. Yeah, well, they're good events. And I see one of the things I love about BWR, and I've only done the Asheville one. Keegan has done, you know, Cedar City as well as San Diego, but is the, um, you know, super impressed with the media coverage, you know, having Amanda out there to cover the women only. Amanda's great. This is cool. I was like, I haven't been to any other race where they're focusing. They have a channel specifically for the women's race so that you can follow along. And two, I really enjoy the neutral water bottles that get given. (laughs) I'm like, this is really nice. It's, and it's such a small thing, but it takes such a big stress away from our, you know, having to figure, okay, when am I, how can I get nutrition? Like, how is this feed zone going to happen? Or like, you know, I think it's, it's such a nice little thing that, you know, we, the athletes appreciate so, 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 so much. Yeah. It's, we find that really important and we want to make sure that we take care of the, the racers that are out there giving it their all that way and, and make sure they have a really good experience. It's, it's not easy because it's not, you know, we don't have the benefit of, of the team cars and the, you know, things like that. So we do the best we can and it doesn't always work out for everybody, but we try to do a good job at, at making sure we, you know, service those pro athletes or the, 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 the leading group as best we can for the people that are contending for the win. Yeah. And I think that really helps kind of new, like, make sure that nobody's having an unfair advantage just because either they're the locals there and they have a bajillion friends or because they have such a strong team or, you know, people staff around that's able to get all those feed zones. So it kind of makes it a lot more of an even playing field. Yeah. And, uh, and it also helps that the water bottles are nice too. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, at, at K-Pepec, they gave us some really shitty water bottles. And it's you know, just like, this sucks, you know, and you just yeah. leaking all over the place. It's, yeah. 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 So it's the little details. We, we, we really appreciate them. So thank you. Oh, it's, it's fun. It's, we have a blast doing it. And much like Amanda, I get a really good seat to watch the, the, the front end of the race like that. And it's, it's always so impressive to watch you athletes go as hard as you do and have the fun that you're having. I think one of the, the best uh, emotions you can get is when someone will roll back to the car and just, just say, man, I'm having so much fun, you know, and it's, it's, it's a good feeling because it, we know how hard you're going. And I, 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 I admire so uh, greatly the abilities that you guys have as, as a, just an average guy, an average cyclist out there to, to get that close of a look to you top level professionals is a, is a real treat. And then to, to watch you go over the whole year long and the different races that I get to go to, um, it's, a, it's a real, real treat to, to watch you guys and, and men and women be out there and, and go as hard as you go. So thank you for that yeah. opportunity. It's really, really cool. Yeah, and I will say I was surprised at the level of fun that I had gravel racing, mainly because of all the tactics and just the mental aspect of it. I just, I didn't expect that. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like you can get an edge on people if you know how to draft or you know how to read, you know, wheels or all this other stuff. So it, it I had a lot more fun racing gravel to the point that next year I am kind of, a, I would say 60% mountain bike, 40% gravel racer. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, well, you've, yeah. you've clearly established yourself as one of the, the women to watch out there and they're going to have to be keeping an eye on you no matter what, uh, what type of bike you're lining up on and what race you're at. So very, very well yeah. done. Congratulations on a, on a wonderful season and uh, best of luck for all of 2022. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, yeah, looking forward to making an appearance at, you know, some of these really big gravel events, I think. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a hard year. I think it's going to be the hardest year to win any of the races. And if you win any yeah. of them, it's, you're going to like, 
the depth and the field is so big right now that if you're not training hard and you don't have your nutrition dial, like I just started working with a nutritionist, uh, Vic is his name. He lives up in Flagstaff. Um, he owns, I think it's mountain sports nutritionist. Like we have a call every week to talk about training, fueling, you know, analyzing my blood, like on a weekly basis, just to make sure I'm prepped for unbound. Like if you're not being that detailed, I don't, not sure that those wins are going to come as easy as they might have in the past, you know, yeah. I think and, it's, uh, and we're talking five and a half months out almost. Right. And we're, we're already this concerned and this detailed on the planning for it. So, yeah, I'm like texting my mechanic. I'm like, so aero bars, I was like, Jeff Bush is going to hate me, but I, was like, <laughs> I do need to train on them in the case that that's going to be a thing. You know, I'm just like, I don't know if the rules are going to change or not, but I need to start practicing how to tuck and how to ride on aero bars if that can make a huge difference at unbound for example <laughs> yeah jeff, jeff had a lot to say about that recently didn't he mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah oh but that was you know I, i'm not sure if you if we have time to touch on it but it was a really i'm assuming what you're referring to is his recent um yeah his article about can athletes just be athletes anymore yeah and yeah I'd love to get your perspective on. I've got the time. If you do, I'd love to get your perspective yeah, on that. Yeah, I, it was a really interesting article. I I didn't think I thought it was going to go more into depth about kind of the current atmosphere that we're in. Um, you know, I will say I didn't submit a video for the lifetime thing. I was like, I don't need to sell myself. If my results, how I saw it, I was like, if my results are not good enough to get me a ticket, I don't want to participate. You know, like I I don't feel like. I have to sell myself beyond my performance capabilities um, and what I'm able to bring to the table. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's certain things that that lifetime series can do better. For example, after racing sea otter and unbound, if you have done one or the two, that maybe they figure out a way of, okay, like if you want to continue racing the series because you're in the top 10, although you're not actually part of the series, we'll let you in or, how are they going to deal with the people that get into all six events and that aren't part of the series, you know? Right, right. Um, and then the interesting part is also the point system. It's like, well, it's not going to incentivize. I agree with Jeff. It's not going to incentivize people going out for the race itself win because they're going to be so thinking about the ranking. Right. That, it's, it's crazy that I, what I thought was going to be, it was like, okay, how do you rank within the overall of that race of like everybody that signed up, regardless of them being part of the series or not? Because if I win Sea Otter Classic, for example, which has, we'll have a lot of strong mountain bike racers and the next girl of the lifetime series comes in 10th, but they get second points. I'm like, well, how, you know, like that doesn't right. seem like an even thing or like they were thinking about making unbound being weighted double. And it's like, well, that's not really fair because you get to throw one away. So why would you make, why is unbound? You know, I think it's interesting. Um, obviously it was cool that they've increased it from 20 to 40 athletes. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I think, I don't know. I think, I think it's an interesting time and I was lucky enough to make it. So I don't have to really worry about it. And I think, in the women's field, there's not anybody really missing that apply that should, should have been there. You know, that's okay. like has the chance to win part of that top 10 where the prize money goes to, but in the men's side, yeah, there are some guys that are definitely missing from that, e that, that either didn't apply, didn't want to apply or didn't bother to apply or, or didn't get in or didn't get that in. Could yeah, be a, that could be, that could be a factor in any of these races. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you look at the amount of people that apply, obviously there's going to be more males that apply because it, our sport in general, the percentage you have, it's 80% men, 20% women, you know? So it was really cool that they did a fair number, but me, you know, when I think of that and I think of all the amount of guys that apply, like, would it have made sense to add maybe another five entries to the men? Like, is that really bad? Like that five more guys would get in versus five more women. Like it's very controversial because everything has to be equal. Right. But at the end of the day, there's a lot more, the, the, the field, there's a lot more men that had applied. So I'm not sure if it should have been more of a percentage base that got in or I don't know. 
it sucks. I have a lot of friends that didn't make it and they're definitely, you know, my good friend Griffin, who's actually uh, racing for Belgium waffle ride. He's our, yeah. he's living with us in Tucson right now, actually. Oh, nice. And I'm like, how did someone like Griffin that, you know, obviously he, the gravel racing he did last year was pretty late in the year. So I think, and his social media isn't as high as most of the other people that got in, but he's part of this Alpicure foundation that his goal is to raise awareness for opioid addiction and try to help addicts kick their addiction by riding bikes. I'm like, how does someone that's not doing that get, not get into this right. series? You know, right. like I was, I was mind blown, you know, like Ryan Standish, he does a lot with the MS foundation. So yeah, it, it sucks to have a lot of friends not make it, but hopefully there's another chance next year and hopefully, you know, they perform at those lifetime events and are able to get in Yeah, for 2023, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's an interesting year. I think we've got a more normalized calendar. We've got more events coming in and now you've got the BWR quadruple crown. You've got the lifetime series and more money being pumped into the sport. So yeah, it's going to start creating a lot more of these questions and issues that come up. And the only thing that's going to solve it is r racing our way through it to see how it played out. And then hopefully making adjustments to do whatever anybody can to make it better for the athletes, make it better for the spectators and the people that follow the sport, make it more compelling. Yeah. And I think there's, yeah, there's a lot of racing. I saw oh. Stetna put out his calendar and I'm like, uh, how many weekends of not racing do you have? I'm like, how? I was like, I'm excited that my calendar is as simple as it's ever been. Like, it is so <laughs> simple right now. And I'm just like, man, you are just ping-ponging around the world, man. So I'm like, how are you going to do that? And it's not, you know, mountain bike racing, our races are a long race, which is like the Epic Ride series. Four, four and a half would be a really long one. Yeah. But in gravel, that's a short race. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, how can you go from doing every weekend, six, seven, eight, you know, 10 hours, 12 of your counting unbound and recover and keep showing up to races? I think it's going to be really interesting to see if the races maybe start to get shortened in order to allow athletes to go do all these races without getting so fatigued that they're just literally showing up to participate. Yeah, they can, they can make it all the way through October and not, you know, be completely wrecked. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like the thing that scares me the most about gravel. You know, I've only have maybe three good years of base season under my legs. You know, like when I started racing, I couldn't do the massive hours in the past three winters is kind of when I feel like I've been doing, you know, the hours that I should be doing. Um, so it's like, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of work to just be prepared for your body to handle these really long, hard days. Yeah. on the bike yeah it's gonna be a great year i um i'm so excited to get it kicked off it's um you know they can't get here soon enough when we get to start racing and certainly can't wait to watch you out there competing with all these other super talented women and, and no doubt you're gonna have more much more great success in the coming year so thanks yeah i'm excited and you know thanks to all the whole gravel community for just being rad and being super friendly and yeah it's it's always good to show up and uh and just be able to make so much friendships and just meet people from all over the U.S., you know, and you're all signing up for the same little crazy bike race. <laughs> yep. Yep. We'll keep doing it. Well, we appreciate you so much. Congrats again on the on the uh, power rankings finish and um, best of luck this season, Sophie. We really appreciate you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Okay. Best of luck to you. We'll talk to you. We'll, we'll you. see you out on the road. I think we'll probably catch up with you at, uh, at Unbound, if not before. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. All right. <laughs>